Uh, I'm privileged to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, I am not Pastor Franz. Uh, Pastor Franz is an amazing uh, preacher. I'm less so, but God is good. And his word is better than either of us. So we are glad to hear that today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 63 this morning. Isaiah 63, we're going to begin with verse 7 and read through verse 14. Isaiah 63, beginning with verse 7. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us. And the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert. They did not stumble like livestock that go down into the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Father in heaven, these are your words. I pray that you would take them and apply their truths to our lives now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. One of the... uh, One of the things that we we have as a culture are those memorial stones. Those those times in our collective past where we can remember together events in very specific detail. And I would suspect that you have those in your own lives and families as well. Moments where we could tell you exactly where we were, exactly what we were doing when they happened. On a national level, I think a few of you maybe might remember the Pearl Harbor attacks. More of you would remember where Kennedy, or where you were when Kennedy was, when he was assassinated, right? Uh, and, and I think for, for many in my generation, and all but, but a few of you younger ones, uh, would remember the events of 9-11. That's the one that, that sticks out to me. I remember 9-11 very well. Uh, that, that day, I remember where I was sitting in class. I remember Mr. Canodal, my, my uh, principal in high school, coming I was a senior in high school, he came in. And he said to, to my teacher, Mr. Nelson, he said, turn on the TV. The, the World Trade Center was just hit by an airplane. And we turned on the TV just in time to see the second one. And I remember then going from economics class to, to uh, advanced biology class where Mr. Horsager said, I remember these words very vividly, Baghdad will be destroyed by midnight. I remember him saying that. I remember the day that, that day where, where bas- our football practice got canceled. I remember going to football practice and, and being on the football field just in, in a captain's practice. I was wearing a helmet, and we were punting the ball back and forth, wondering what the future held. And I remember the, the motto that, that came from that, that situation. When, when that happened, our, our nation came together, and, and that motto that's oft repeated is, Never forget. The idea was that we would never forget the horrific tragedy and senselessness 
and the loss of life of that day. We'd never forget the heroes that emerged that day. We'd never forget that freedom has a price tag and that as a nation, we have been undeniably blessed by God. Memorials have been established to help us remember to never forget. For the Israelites, God's chosen people, uh, the people of the Old Testament, or whose history we read in the Old Testament, I should say, those on whom He poured His love and His mercy, the event that they would live to remember and celebrate throughout their history was God's deliverance of them from the hand of the Egyptians. Out of the land of Egypt, the Exodus, we call it, right? The, the Passover feast that was celebrated each year was celebrated and established as a memorial that they would never forget what their God had done for them. For them, If they question whether or not God cared for them, if they wondered, can God really help our people today, they pointed back to the event of the Exodus. They pointed back to the event of the Exodus. If they questioned God's power and control over all the forces of evil, they were reminded of his victory over Pharaoh and the miraculous deliverance that he issued them on that day. Who on their, uh, on their own accord were as good as dead. Those people were as good as dead, yet God intervened. The whole Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, we see this miraculous demonstration of love recounted over and over and over again. Never forget, never forget, never forget. It was a rallying point for God's people. And it's this event that's remembered today in Isaiah 63 in our text. In verses 7 through 9, the text that was just read. I want to observe four things that we should never forget. In your bulletins, I tried my best, right? Pastor Franz, you see me? If you ever see me, by the way, during one of Pastor Franz's sermons, I'm here and I'm, I'm typing on my phone. I have a, an app, my Bible app, and I'm taking notes feverishly because I love his outline. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give the people what they're used to from an outline. And you know what? I'm, I'm not smart enough for that. But I, I, I think I'm close. So I'm going to say I'm going to add a fourth point. In your bulletin, I gave Mary Jo three. There's a fourth. It's identical in, in form, in, in grammatical form to the others. But there are four things I want to notice today. The first is this. In this text, we see that we must never forget God's character. God's character. The Israelites were in a, a foreign land. They were being held captive as indentured servants against their will. They were doing the slave labor of Egyptians and, and themselves were finding very little benefit from it. These were the people, uh, remember, these were the people who were promised a land of their own. They were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. That, that, that they dwell secure in this land with the Lord as their head. But here they were enslaved by the enemy. Yet in the midst of this, this awful time, and we're going to come back to the awful time. In the midst of this helplessness, in the midst of this hopelessness, God, His character shone forth. God's kindness, His compassion, His mercy, His love took the driver's seat as He intervened on, on their behalf. Verse 7 says it this way, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us. He's a giver of good things. According to the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them, according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The thing that Isaiah points back to was not the people's goodness. They didn't bring anything to the table. 
The thing that made this event one to remember was the character of God. It was His compassion. It was His mercy. It was His steadfast love. It wasn't their ability to save themselves. We have this this phrase in our culture sometimes that we hear, and I think you've probably heard it, God helps those who help themselves. How many have heard that? Has anybody heard that? That is unfortunately completely anti-biblical, right? That, that is not a biblical piece of information. God helps those who can't help themselves. That is the character and nature of God. The, this event then was this, this vivid picture of God's active involvement in the messes of his people. Micah prayed just before the, the sermon today. He, he, said, he said, God, we thank you that you in your perfection came into our imperfection. That's exactly what is being said here. In verse 9, one of the, one of the most comforting passages in, in all of Scripture although there are hundreds of comforting passages in Scripture, this one really stands out to me. He says of his people in verse 9, in their distresses, he too was distressed. Or in his afflictions, some versions say, he was afflicted. There's a, there's a beautiful picture here, isn't there? When God's children are afflicted, He is afflicted. He is not some aloof, uncaring, absentee God. He's not the watchmaker that, that some of the deists claimed that He was early in our country's history, right? That, that He just set things in motion and then things have just continued on ever since. No, He is actively caring and He is willing Himself to suffer. So that we could be rescued. We cannot forget the character of God. He shares in the sufferings of those he loves. The second thing we we must not forget today, we see it in this text, is we must never forget God's power. So we have this, this picture of God caring, right? His steadfast love, his compassion, his mercy. When we're afflicted, he's afflicted. How many of you as parents have watched your children suffer and said, oh, I wish I could take their place? My kids have been sick these last two weeks, and they're finally better now, but it's been a rough couple of weeks, right? It's been a, an annoying couple of weeks, and I don't like to watch my children suffer. But unfortunately... Things like colds and flu season, I can't step in and help them. I have no power to do so. But God does. We must never forget that God's character comes with a tremendous amount of power. Right? He combines his care with action for us. The Pharaoh, right? he was a sovereign ruler of all of Egypt. He could decree anything he wanted to about those in his land, including the slaves. And he used that power to enslave God's people. However, the event of Exodus marks this time in history where God's hand went forth against the enemy of his people and bent that enemy's will toward his own to suit his purposes for the good of his his people and for the glory of his own name. That's what this text is saying. God is able to take even the most sovereign, powerful ruler in this world and bend their will to his. The end of verse 9 says, He lifted them up and he carried them all the days of old. When the people were bowed down before those in Egypt, God was powerful. He was strong to lift them up. I, I lived on a, um, in a, an apartment complex down Bass Lake Road when I was out of Bible, Bible school for the first year. I lived with some 
individuals there. And it was it was near the Crystal Brooklyn Center border on Bass Lake Road. And we were there. We had a, had a, a num- number of neighbors that were elderly. And one day we, we saw um, we saw from our, our balcony, we saw a building on fire. OK, we saw this this building in one of our apartment complexes on fire. And so we went over there to see what we could do. We didn't know if the fire department had been called yet, but us being college students, we ran out. And on the third floor of the building that was on fire on their balcony was this woman, probably in her 70s or 80s. And the fire was all around her pouring out the windows and she wasn't able to get out. And, and I remember thinking in that moment, I, I can't watch somebody die. <laughs> I'm going to go and get this woman. And there were four, including me, there were four of us. And we were, we were college students. So we're like, okay, we're going to get this woman down. And just in the nick of time, the fire department, who we hadn't even seen come, firemen came around with a ladder, brought it up to that third floor balcony and carried that woman down in the fireman's carry, right? He lifted her up and he carried her down. That's the picture that we have here in this text, that God himself in our helplessness, when the fires are surrounding us, he comes and he rescues his people. In the event of the Exodus, God controlled natural phenomena, making uh, plagues to fall upon the nation of Egypt. That, that culminated in the splitting of the Red Sea, which was, uh, well, actually the, the plagues culminated in the death of the firstborn and God rescuing them who had the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. But then as they escaped in the Exodus, they, there was the splitting of the Red Sea in which God made a path for his people to freedom. It looked like there was no hope. Like the fire was surrounding them. The army was coming behind. There's water before we can drown or be killed by the sword. Which one do we want to pick? And God made a way. Verse 12, God caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses. Verse 12 again, he divided the waters before them. Verse 13, he led them through the depths so that like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord in the midst of that gave them rest. We have a powerful God we must never forget. Thirdly, we see in this, and we have to extrapolate, so it's not just in this text, but we see what this text points to in a broader sense because we know Christmas, right? We know the New Testament. The third thing we cannot forget is God's ultimate plan. We must not forget God's ultimate plan. The entire event of the Exodus is given to us and has been preserved because it's a foreshadowing of the ultimate Exodus. As God himself and his love and mercy comes to show his power and might and his victory over sin. Micah read today from Galatians chapter 4. We see what this, this victory looks like. We see what this plan enacted, how it started. It said, but when the time had fully come, when we were slaves to sin, we, we were slaves, he said, when we were slaves to all kinds of the elementary, uh, elementary principles, right? All Elementary principles. Mrs. Berge, you're an elementary principal. It's different, right? It's the law. It's those things that we were slaves to, to not be able to do what we wanted to do. We wanted to succeed. We wanted to, to save ourselves. We want to obey, but we can't because we were slaves. It says, but when the time had come in the midst of all of that, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the full rights of sons. 
Goes on to say in verse 6 that that those who who believe, God sends His very own Spirit, His living and active presence to, to dwell with them, to free us from the slavery of the law. When the Spirit is dwelling with us, He makes us brand new creatures. There's a rescue plan here that God has. It's here. It's, at, it's in this event at Christmas time. This Christmas Sunday, the, the Sunday of Christmas, right? It, it's in that event where God came to deliver and to rescue His people. God Himself came. I myself will come, He says. I will do this. I will rescue you. With a vengeance, I will come and I will deliver you. It's here that God's mercy, His kindness and compassion, His love shines in the greatest measure. It's here where His love and compassion take center stage. It's, it's here, excuse me, that He took a bunch of slaves and misfits and rebels who had no conceivable right or standing to expect anything from Him, and He gave them complete and free redemption, the forgiveness of their sins and life everlasting. He saved those who left, them, left to themselves were, were slaves to death. They were going to die in their sin. And He gave them the salvation that they needed. All in, in such a, a personally devastating way. In, his, in our affliction, He was afflicted. He humbled Himself to the point of becoming a, a child and walking amongst those who sinned against Him. The Creator of the universe laid aside the use of His powers so that He can become like us to understand what it means to suffer, to be afflicted. And in the midst of it all, He grew up to live the life that we could not and to die in our place so that we could have victory over death. How can we forget this? This is the the, the event of history. This is the, the one that we must never forget. It's beyond anything else. Is there any question about this? Isn't this the, the event that should be on our lips? What we talk about in our family gatherings and amongst each other. But sometimes we don't. And that brings us to our final point today. We must never forget God's refuge. You'd think that, that people who'd seen God act in such a powerful and decisive way would respond with a lifelong gratitude and obedience and all an uphill climb, right? This, this way forward. But the, words, the, the first words of verse 10 ominously continue. They say this, Yet, in the face of all this love and, work and, and, behalf, uh, and, and God's work on behalf of His people, they rebelled. From the time of their deliverance of Egypt through the Red Sea, God's people complained. The desert was too hot. They had nowhere to go. At least in Egypt, they had food and water. But in in this way, they continued to go on. They continued to test God and complain. This ultimately culminated in God's people uh, building for themselves a golden calf in which they they called that their God. They weren't even, I I don't even think that they're, they're, uh, you know, the, the smell of the Red Sea salt had been washed from their clothing. And here they are building this golden calf. And they begin to worship it. They begin asking in verse 10, where is he? Where is our rescuer? Where is the one who provided us this Holy Spirit? Or maybe you found yourself in the same boat. Maybe you found yourself having experienced God's redemption in Christ, believing in His work, receiving the forgiveness of your sin, but the cares of this life, the lures of more other immediate and palpable pleasures are are on uh, your mind. 
The doubting of His presence and activity in the world have led you to doubt God's love and work for you. And I want you to think of all of those things, all of those times in your life where, where we have those things that seek to rob from us the freedom and joy that we have in Christ. Think of all those moments in your own life. It can be many, many things that would seek to rob that joy from you. Maybe you've rebelled against Him. And maybe you, you've been walking in spiritual depression, living, living a, a lukewarm life, or maybe a, an ice-cold life. Maybe you've forgotten His redemption and are asking the questions that the Israelites were asking in verses 11-14. through 14. Where is this God of old? You feel dry, you feel empty, you feel lacking hope and peace. Maybe there are situations not of your own making. I think of so many in our congregation. I think of, of, of Wayne and Judah Jory. I think of, of many uh, who have lost loved ones or who are suffering with different illnesses and had to go through different things during this time of year especially. That's not because they had sinned in some special way. It's because we live in a broken world and it's easy for us to ask those questions. God, where are you? We do it to ourselves and we live in a world that does it to us. But verse 11 says this. Then they, uh, some translations say he, it really could be understood either way. Then they remembered the days of old. They didn't forget. They remembered the days of old in their sin, their fear, their suffering, their loneliness. God called his people to remember his plan and his rescue. And we have to do the same thing. In those moments where we have sinned and turned against Him and rebelled, remember what He has done. Remember the cross. When we are suffering, what do we need to do? Remember what He has done. Remember the cross. When we are going through all these difficulties in life, we have to remember that we have a refuge in Christ. We have to remember that. When His people rebel, God does not turn away from them forever. Right? He does not reject them. The prodigal son, or Luke 15 in general, has three stories of things that were lost but then were found. Right? The sheep goes out. What does the shepherd do? God is the shepherd character. He leaves the 99 and goes, finds the one. Goes to find the one, right? He, he, uh, the, he's the woman. <laughs> Don't get confused with the shack, the book, the shack. I'm not calling God a woman, but in that parable, that's what it is. Well, who of you, the woman who lost a and swept the whole house looking for it and rejoiced when she found it. That we are the coin and God is the woman sweeping the house looking for us. And then the parable of the lost son, right? What is the picture that God has for us of himself in that? It's of a dad sitting on a porch looking at the horizon, just waiting for his rebellious son to return. There's a refuge in Christ today. He doesn't turn away, but his love, in his love and in his mercy, his compassion, and for his own namesake, he gives us hope. He is the God of second chances. As we look forward this week to starting a new year, 2020, do not forget God's steadfast love for you. Don't forget his powerful demonstration of his rescue for us. Don't forget his plan of salvation or the refuge that we have in him. But let his cross be our memorial as we find victory day by day in him. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you today that your word is so clear on your plan of salvation. That your love is so sure for us that we have no reason to doubt it. And that you have given these words as a memorial to assure us of these promises. Tie our hearts to this word this year, we pray. Give us your grace, we ask, uh, to trust these promises. 
Those who are rebelling, Lord, I pray that in this moment you would, you would cause them to see that, to turn from that, and to see the alternative of trusting in you. Pray for those who are suffering today, that they would find their hope not in temporal things, but in the things that are of you. We ask that you would do this through the power and for the glory of your Son. Amen.